Tours podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion, pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. Okay, this episode uh, requires some intro. I'm, I'm jumping on with uh, the gentlemen of Grizzled Outdoors podcast, Larry Richards, Ed Morris, and uh, Colonel Mike Abel. Um, I want to do a short bio on each of these gentlemen. Uh, Mr. Larry Richards, 72, shot down piloting a Cobra helicopter in Vietnam, incurred major injuries and took several years of grafts and surgeries. Uh, he earned a Purple Heart with uh, other accommodations, and uh, recovered and discharged, worked as a PH in Tanzania and Zimbabwe for a while, then moved out west and uh, guided in Idaho and Wyoming, returned to Kentucky and worked as a professional pilot and instructor until he retired last year. Also worked as a waterfowl, waterfowl guide in Kentucky and hunts all over the world. Um, and just recently hunted Ibex in Spain, Dove in Argentina and hunts a lot in the beautiful western states that i love so much he's an avid waterfall hunter uh and hunts about every day of the season striper fisherman active member of the league of kentucky sportsmen bha and safari club uh mr ed morris he's 71 years old served in nam uh in the united states marine corps and as uh as a certified combat diver he was discharged in 73 and returned to the university of louisville uh ed earned his uh, civil engineering degree and Worked as a uh, engineer, uh, amongst other things, for a uh, major highway and utility contractor, sewer, water plant, etc., for over 45 years. Um, and he retires on December 31st of this year. Ed hunts all over the U.S. and Canada. Uh, he's going to Africa in June of 24. And then he typically hunts uh, Colorado for two weeks during September. My man, 10 days in Utah for elk and a week of Montana antelope. Killed a moose in Maine uh, two years ago. Hunts whitetails in four or five states every year. Shoots competitive archery in the senior division and a lot of clays, trap and sporting. Uh, he's worked for uh, worked as a waterfowl guide and uh, still hunts waterfowl, raises Labradors, and uh, serves as district president for the League of Kentucky Sportsmen and state president of the United Bow Hunters of Kentucky. Belongs to BHA, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Colorado Bow Hunters Association, which is phenomenal, right? Ed lives in Kentucky, hunts Colorado, and uh, is a member of CBA. Gotta love that. Uh, Colonel Mike, retired U.S. Army Ranger, uh, numerous deployments, retired and then return to uh, teach ROTC classes to inner city kids in Louisville. He's hunted all over the world to include Alaska, Africa on numerous safaris, uh, Western states. And he just returned from a week of offshore fishing the Keys, uh, shot in the open professional division of ASA against guys like Levi Morgan, Tim Gillingham, uh, on the state board of BHA in Kentucky and a member of SCI, League of Kentucky Sportsmen. I mean, very, very active in legislative affairs. Uh, so without further ado, let's welcome Grizzled Outdoors podcast. So he should be getting off any minute. That's all right. Well, I, all right, I just well, hit I just hit record right now. So we'll just get rolling and Larry jumps in. I'll admit him if it's midway or whatever. That's fine. So before you gentlemen jumped on, I kind of went through the bios and uh, told who each of you were. 
Um, so right now we got uh, Ed Morris, Mr. Ed Morris, and uh, Colonel Mike Abel. Is it Abel or Abel? Abel. Okay. I said it wrong on the intro. I might it's have to spell Abel. Yeah. Well, I apologize. <laughs> but uh, it's all good, man. <laughs> So I've been on with with a couple of these gentlemen before before Grizzled started, and we talked about the League of Kentucky Sportsmen and the impact and the example, in my opinion, that the league was setting uh, something that uh, could be used across our great nation uh, for sportsmen and uh, fighting the good fight. So recently, Ed and the boys have started a Grizzled Outdoor podcast, and Ed'll send me the episodes and. I think you guys are what eight or nine in at this point. I think so. Not like we've got nine, maybe ten at the most. Yeah. And uh, I have I've enjoyed listening. I was a little bit slow on the uptake just because the schedules being what they are, and sometimes I don't, you know, I just don't listen. Um, and man, I have really, really enjoyed it. So I want you guys to really to set in on the premise uh, of Grizzled. Uh, well, first let's let's get a little bit of a a, a self intro uh, from you guys, and then I want to talk about Grizzled and what you guys got going on, and and the idea behind Grizzled, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Well, like I say, um, we're all Kentucky guys. Um, I'm 71, and uh, soon to be 72 in April, and I've been a hunter and fisherman and outdoorsman pretty much all my life, uh, served in the Marine Corps back during the Vietnam era, got out, and then uh, uh, went back to the University of Louisville and got my degree in civil engineering, and for the last 45 years, I've been building roads and dams and water treatment plants and pipelines and all of that kind of stuff, and married with uh, two grown children and six grandchildren, and Hunt pretty much all over the United States, Canada. Uh, been to Mexico twice. Uh, I have not been to Africa yet, but I'm got my first safari plan for next June. But uh, nonstop hunting, I am the, uh, served as the president of the League of Kentucky Sportsmen, and uh, now I'm serving as the district president of the league, and I'm also the president of. Uh, United Bow Hunters of Kentucky. So Mike and I and Larry, we're all very, very active in different organizations, and uh, which we stress that on our show that people how important it is. But I'll let Mike dwell on that a little bit more. But <laughs> we—that's um, pretty much me. Just uh, you know, like like to hunt and fish, and like to give back to people, and love listening to your your podcast, guy. Even I uh, yours, and then especially you know, like when you're on with the Elk Rose and some of the other ones. Uh, the show you recently did with Jermaine Hodge, I thought was just, I mean, great. I, it was very enjoyable. Thank so, you. But uh, uh, that's pretty much for me, Michael. Yeah, um, guy, I appreciate you having us on tonight. Uh, thanks very much for the um, support and the fellowship. Um, yes, sir. It's been almost two years ago that Ed sent me a note and said, Hey man, I want to talk about doing a podcast. And we kicked it around for a long time and, uh, came up with the idea. Um, well, Ed had the idea that, or the premise, the concept that 
nobody out there in the outdoor space is really catering to folks 50 and older uh, and, and giving them the advice they need to either get back in the game or stay in the game. And me and our good friend, Larry Richards, who's a Purple Heart uh, vet uh, from Vietnam, have all of us are still hunting and still doing it all over the world. Um, and if Larry gets on here, he'll tell you his background, but, uh, uh, we all thought it was a great idea. Uh, so, you know, went out and did a bunch of, um, uh, creative ideas and, and kicked it back and forth and came up with the idea of grizzled, which of course the big dictionary definition of that is streaked with gray, um, <laughs> meaning gray haired, you know, and, um, and turn, come to find out it, the domains weren't registered. So, me being the younger, you know, 52-year-old in the group um, uh, I, and being a little bit more tech-savvy and, and having my own podcast, I have a, a couple of podcasts. One's focused on outdoor mentoring. Others focused on keeping people informed of what's going on with our Fish and Wildlife Commission. And they're, they're all just like pro bono, you know, public service type stuff. But I've been podcasting. And, and Ed came up and said, hey, man, no one's doing this. We need to do this. And, and Larry and I were both like, Ed's right. Ed's exactly right. So we we agreed. And I uh, went out and secured the, the website, the, the podcast hosting URL and all that jazz. And it took us a solid year to get our act together uh, with Larry was just about to retire. I had been retired since my, I retired after 26 years in the infantry um, and took a few years off and hunting fish and, and traveled the world and did a bunch of stuff and did some writing. And um, we just were all three. It, it didn't link up. And then, uh, then I got asked to go back by a former officer that used to work for me. He's now a high school vice principal. She called and said, hey, will you consider coming back and teaching high school in this tough West end high school. And, and I did, and, it, and I loved it, but, but none of our schedules like synced up until a couple months ago. And we finally got our act together and started doing it and really have been successful because some of our friends who just didn't want to take the bait, like fishing for a bass on its bed, right? You got that <laughs> soft plastic in front of you. Yeah. You, you got that soft plastic bait right in front of them, you know, and you're like, man, I'm jigging this lizard right in front of your face. Why don't you eat it? Some of our friends didn't want to listen to us, but somehow way, shape or form, since we did it on a podcast, they actually listened to it. One of our best friends, Brian Mackey's a former fish and wildlife commissioner. I was talking to him about the, the archery podcast, which is their, our last podcast, our ninth episode. We did an archery podcast by getting grizzled, get grizzled, outdoors men and women back in the archery game he had fallen off a piece of equipment he's a retired firefighter but he he had to retire because he fell off a piece of equipment shattered his wrist he couldn't bow hunt he hadn't touched his bow in nine years and i was telling him i was bouncing ideas off of him because ed wanted to do an archery podcast and and this guy's brian Mackey's his name um Brian said, yeah, this, that'd be good. This is what you need to do. Then he calls me and says, Hey, will you set up my bow? Well, of course I have a bow press and all the equipment. I was like, yeah, are you serious? He's like, yeah. He's like, I haven't drawn a bow in nine years. He went to the bow shop, picked up a brand new bow. The draw cycle was so much easier, which is what we were saying on the podcast. I'm like, dude, you can still bow hunt. You know, technology's gotten so much better. And now I get texts from him daily 
of, you know, groups of arrows and, and dude's 52 and he hadn't picked up a bow in, in 10 years. So we know our advice is working. So, but it was Ed's idea and it, and it took us two years to get it off the ground. Heck yeah. So do me a favor. Um, what are the, the other two podcasts while we're, I mean, we're talking grizzled. We, uh, we need to talk those as well. Um, well, those are just, those are our, my personal ones. Um, uh, one's called State of the Outdoors, and all I cover is what's going on. Um, four times a year, I cover our Fish and Wildlife Commission meeting, and then eight times a year for the so once a month, eight times a year I cover stuff going on in the federal legislature. You know, um, like recovering America's Wildlife Act, the roadless rule in Alaska, all that stuff, just to keep sportsmen and women informed. Because of you know Ed and I and Larry, um, hell, Ed was. Ed was involved in conservation groups back when I started. Um, he's way ahead of me. So was Larry. Larry's one of the founding fathers of our Kentucky and Safari Club. And back in like 06, 07, they asked me to start going to League of Kentucky Sportsman's meetings. Um, that's when I got involved. But what happens is, is our Fish and Wildlife Commission meetings are, hell, Ed, they're at least six hours long, if not, what, eight or nine hours long? Yeah, and have I mean, a bit of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and they always hold them on a Monday or a Friday, and people can't take <laughs> off work to get there. How much of that do you? And so I'm sorry. How much of that do you think is intentional? No, a lot. Yeah. Okay. A lot because <laughs> under the last commission, they tried to start having traveling meetings, and they tried to start having meetings on the weekends, and it just died. And we used to have eight meetings a year of our Fish and Wildlife Commission. Now we have four. Please. So they're controlling narrative and controlling the information. But that podcast is just straight to inform sportsmen so that they'll show up to the meetings that, like, Ed just hosted a third district meeting this week. And, and you know, he's the president of the third district, and he was the former president of the entire state, League of Kentucky Sportsmen. But if we can get sportsmen and women in, informed – they, they feel like they can show up at these meetings and actually participate. So that's what that one is, is designed to do. The other one is just the people I take hunting and fishing, I put them on a podcast and I let them do all the talking, right? I don't want that. I don't want it to be an expert. I don't want it to be you and me and Ed that have killed 30 elk between us. I want it to be somebody who just started. And what do you think is important and how did you feel so that maybe someone else can, can hear a newcomer um, on those, you know, but those are just minor little, those are not as much or, or, or as involved as what we're currently doing with Grizzle, but they're kind of like a public service podcast that, that we work on. What's the, uh, what's the name of the second one, Mike? Um, the second one is called the outdoor mentor. Thank you. I, I think, I think from, from what I know of you guys, right. And like I said, we've been on before. I don't, and then listening to Grizzled, there's Larry. I don't think that there's any information you're putting out that's not worth uh, everybody listening to. I mean, the premise of the state of the outdoors, and then that's huge, right? The outdoor mentor um, for folks coming into what we what we love, this passion, uh, this way of life. I mean, that's huge, right? I mean, to hear someone coming in, their challenges, what they overcome, how they overcome them, um, that puts people on the right path right away. So, folks, go check out the state of the outdoors and the Outdoor Mentor uh, podcast, as well as Grizzled. So, uh, Mr. Larry Richards just joined yeah. us. Larry, welcome. 
Let's see if he has audio yet. Let me see. Go here. Oh, he doesn't have audio yet. All right. Well, when Larry gets uh, audio. So I'm going to jump back real quick because you guys said a couple things. So, so Ed, you said, you know, it, it's important um, that we give back, right? And, and that's one of the things that, that conversations that you and I have. Why, why is that so important? Because I feel like sometimes nowadays it's kind of missed. Um, people don't understand the the gravity of the situations that we're in as sportsmen. Well, you know, guy, that as you and I have talked, uh, unfortunately, hunters, most outdoorsmen, but in particularly the hunters, maybe maybe more so than than some of the, the fishermen, but the hunters especially tend to be a very apathetic group. Uh, they usually now they'll respond and and man they'll they'll show up, but usually when they do it's too late. It's yes sir. It's it's when something hits them in the face and they read it and they go what what how did this come about, or where did this come from when it's been going you know in, in the in the state legislature or the federal legislature for three months under discussion, and and guys like me and Larry and you and and, and other guys are writing letters and emails to our representatives and senators, most of those guys don't just don't realize what's going on. And and that's what I said about, you know, trying to give back and that's like just what Larry does. And every one of our podcasts, we have a legislative update. Yes. And that's one of the things that we try to update people is that, hey, and, and we cover everything. I mean, you know, we've been talking lately about corner crossings and mm-hmm. been talking about Washington uh, commissions and, you know, some of the new legislation there to change how that commission is picked or Colorado wolves or, uh, you know, all the way up to New Jersey bear season. I mean, we, we try to cover everything because a lot of people just, but they're just not aware until something hits them in the face sometimes. You know, you say that and, and, you know, dealing with the wolf situation here, um, you know, I'm talking to guys, maybe guys that work for me, you know, folks, you know, kind of on the street, if you will. And a lot of it, and, and I was kind of shocked, right? And I think I know that I've taken for granted having the information or, you know, searching out the information, but I'm going to say seven and a half out of 10, uh, and, and I'm just giving the half there. People are, it's just naivety. They have no idea. Like, what are you talking about? Like, are you serious? And, and it was just, it, it is shocking to me. It's like, well, how don't you know? And, and I get it to a point, right? Cause like you said, um, or Mike said is, is the narrative is controlled. It's kind of closed doors. And then, you know, that, that purposeful action of making it hard to get to commission meetings, things of that nature. So I think a lot of it is naivety and it, it just, again, maybe I just take it for granted, right? Maybe, maybe, you know, when you're so involved in it via the podcast or whatever it is, um, you just assume folks have the information, but how do we get that information to the people that have absolutely no idea if you know if they're air quote off the grid with it all you know i've told people well for years you know to, to go to sportsman's uh, alliance and, and 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 all you got to do is go to their website and it brings up issues from all over uh the the, the guy that's relatively new last couple of years there in california with how uh i get his notices 
every week on an email comes right in and they make it so simple. Just click here with your email and boom, it goes to your state representative or, or, or wherever. And, and they make it so easy for sportsmen anymore to be on record. Now I send a lot of personal stuff to ours just because sometimes I think it gets more attention than, you know, if they get 2000, they're all worded exactly the same. It's mm-hmm. obvious that they're, you know, clicking in, but, uh, you know, I, I'd say, uh, Mike especially, uh, has been involved in it. Larry now has, has been involved in it for quite a while, the three of us. And that's why we make it a part. One of the things that, that Mike always stresses on our podcast at the end of the legislative is the way you find out a lot of these things is belonging to an organization. Uh, you know, I belong to, of course, I, all, most of the alphabet groups, you know, NDA and RMEF and NWTF and all that good stuff. But you do get their newsletters and you get their emails and you get their alerts. And that's, you know, if, if you don't belong to some organizations, you need to be because that's where you're going to get a lot of your information from. Just like Colorado, okay? I'm a, I'm a Kentucky resident, have been all my life. But I joined the Colorado Bow Hunters Association. Why? Because I hunt out there. And yes, I felt sir. like if those guys are go- if those guys are going to bat for me out there as a non-resident so that I can come out there and hunt, then I need to support their organization. Now, I, I can't make it to their jamborees and I can't make it to their commission meetings, but they send me the alerts and I respond back to whomever they tell me I need to respond back to. But, you know, I, I belong to the Maine Moose Hunters Association. I like going up there and hunting moose and I felt like if I'm going to do that, I need to support those people up there as well. So that's that's my nickel's worth on it. I'll leave it to Mike and Larry to expand on a little bit more. Let's see if Larry. No, I mean, I, it's just most most people are too busy to get involved at the level we get involved. And the way that they get informed is they're members of an organization that sends them updates. They get a small update. Hey, man, check this out. This is what's going on. In Kentucky right now, the hot button issue is the five-acre rule. It used to be that if you're a resident landowner um, and, and the acreage was not an issue, that you didn't have to buy a hunting and fishing license to hunt on your own land. Uh, if you hunted off your own land, you did. And we recently had a change by... a um, maybe she was well-intended, maybe she wasn't, but by a senator that changed that. And now it, the, it no longer says resident landowner can hunt and fish on their own land without buying a license. It's, it says you have to have more than five acres, which is sent. You know, we thought that was ridiculous, but, but I don't think any of us, uh, and Ed may correct me. I don't think any of us thought it was going to be the hot button issue that it is. It really fired up the sportsmen. They are not happy about that. And we had a long conversation with the senator. Go ahead, Ed. No, that was. I think that I was, was Larry. Say, there's, a, there, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of grandpas out here with five acres with farm ponds. Who like taking their grandkids fishing, and they and they have really fired up that, especially that group, more so the fishermen, the guys who've got small ponds on their property that they're paying and the they stock. Have their grandkids or kids, yeah. and, and and those, uh, am I correct but, in that they're they're paying to stock those small farm ponds? 
Yeah, they're paying out Not of pocket anymore. to stock. Yeah, yeah, they pay. They, yeah, yeah, they, they pay, pay out of pocket. Yeah. Year, years ago, years ago, years ago, the department used to help first come first serve. There was there was uh, fish available from the uh, um, from you know the hatcheries that was set aside and or was excess and was given to resident landowners to stock their ponds. That ended quite a few years ago. So these people are maintaining their own, you know, pond, they're maintaining their own lake. And it's always been thought, you know, hey, as long as it's mine and I own it, I don't have to, you know, have my kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, no everybody doesn't have to buy a license. We can have, you know, a barbecue, come out here and hunt and fish. Well, not anymore. And that senator was like, Well, you know, nobody talked to us. That's not true. Our lobbyists from Safari Club and some other people actually went and sat down with her, and she had to eat a whole lot of crow over that. And the bottom line is, and we told her, had you talked to us up front, could we work together on it up front before you push this bill through the legislature? Um, and now she's going to suffer, you know, because other legislators are really pissed about it. Sportsmen and women and her constituents are pissed about it, and it's gonna it's gonna show up again in the next session because she didn't have the patience, you know, or um, you know the generosity, the weight on us. To, and here's the thing, man. When the, when they ask us about something, and Ed Ed's been doing this longer than you know than just about any of us. When the legislators ask us about an issue, we have to go back to our clubs. We have to go back to our organizations and say, what do you guys think about this? How do you want us to vote? Or how do you want us to, to you know, um, advocate for the club? How do you want us to advocate for, you know, Kentucky chapter, backcountry hunters and anglers, United Kentucky Hunters, Kentucky and Safari Club? We can't just, as leaders, we can't just say this is what we're going to do. We, it's a democratic process. We have to go back to our members, and the, and the legislators don't have the patience for that. They'll just go off and do what they think is right. And in this case, they're going to suffer the wrath, I think. Is it even what's right at this point, though? Because a lot of it just seems like what what their ideology is. And then who is, I hate to say it right, because it sounds, I don't know, sometimes it sounds ridiculous uh, to us. It's an assumption that all of them, but who's, you know, who's in their pocket? Um because it's always a rush push. I mean, you look at the the wolf thing here in Colorado and, you know, the governor here, I mean, we, you know, they get the 10J and then, you know, he immediately vetoes um, the ruling on it. And it's just like, you know, what are you doing? You're not, you, in one hand, you're talking about listening to your constituents and the other hand, you're going to push it through because of your ideology um, or whomever's ideology that uh, is benefiting you. It, it just, uh, it's frustrating. Mm. You know, guys, kind of like, like you said a few times on your show where you've addressed it, and, of course, you're a, a, a very, very active on your show about the various legislative. But, you know, the the groups like PETA and HSUS and those groups, they're very, very well-funded. They're very, very well-organized. They work together. They have a common goal, and they're uh, – you know that the if you can't if you can't uh, influence them uh, at the at the fish and wildlife level now they've realized well we can go straight to the commission and we can get our people somehow on the commission mm-hmm. such as Washington for example 
And if that doesn't work, then we can get it on the ballot and we can get the 75% of people that don't hunt and fish or the 80% uh, to uh, to vote on it. And we'll, we'll just dazzle them with a lot of money and newspaper ads. And then the people on our side, unfortunately, you try to get RMEF and NWTF and DU and all those in one room to agree on anything. Good luck. And uh, it just, it doesn't happen. You know, everybody has their own little niche they're going to protect. And, you know, I don't trap. I used to trap years and years ago, but it's been 30 years. But if a trapping bill comes out right now, uh, uh, an anti-trapping bill, I'm going to go to bat for the trappers. Because mm-hmm. if they get one foot in the door, then guess what? And and next week it might be something that I like that's doing. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, you We've got to quit the fighting between ourselves. Mm-hmm. So. That, well, I, I, and you brought it up, but I've you know I've said it a billion times. The infighting is what's going to be the death of us. Between that and our complacency, um, it'll it'll be the death of what we love. It, it's unfortunate, and man, it's it's gut wrenching uh, to think that. But I mean, you, you're watching it happen. I mean, the last what two two and a half years, it's escalated. Jesus, it seems like. A hundred, a hundred percent. And I mean, it's nonstop. And I mean, they are just pounding it, you know, has that something to do with who's in, in the white house, um, and the pushes there. I mean, it's just like, they're going for broke. They are absolutely going for broke and, and we're breaking. That's the, that's the ugly part of it. We are breaking. Yep. Yeah, well, that's, that's kind of something that we're trying to, that's kind of something we're trying to fix though. We're, we're, you know, there's a lot of people that they get to their middle age and like, I'm just exhausted. You know, I'm tired. I don't want to participate. I don't want to get back out there. You know, that's part of grizzle mm-hmm. is, Hey man, Hey, it's a participation sport. You know, if you care about your kids and your grandkids and you know, you need to be out there with them, number one. And we encourage that with just about everything we do or have done in our very short nine shows but we we have plans for many many more we you know we encourage them to get out there and set the example number one but number two we we talk about how conservation is a participation sport yes you got to get off your ass and you got to participate and that's and we don't ask them to agree with us you know it doesn't matter if you agree with us the more sportsmen and women that that contact the legislators and the fish and wildlife commissioners or as you have parks and wildlife you know the more people that are involved, the more they're like, holy crap, this constituency is significant. Mm -hmm. We actually got to start paying attention here or they're going to kick our butts, (laughs) you know? And that's, that's where we're at with Grizzled is, is we can get more people, you know, back in the game, you know, Hey coach, put me in the game. That's where we're at with this, you know, this idea that Ed had, um, well, I would say that that's a perfect parlay to talk about uh, brighter things. Let's go right into grizzled because <laughs> we can yeah. we can get going and droning on that stuff for hours. And, and it's shame on me for not wanting yep. to, but I don't want to miss grizzled, man. Um, so, OK, so we heard the premise behind you know, it. Well, guy, let's, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I say, Guy, you're part of the reason that this podcast got going when I first started calling Mike and Larry and, and they'll tell you. I'm a podcast guy. I just, if I'm driving down the road in my vehicle, I've got a podcast on. I'm in the gym three or four days a week and I've got my earbuds in and I'm listening to, and there's four or five that I always listen to. Uh, 
not, you know, I just like them. The years I listen to Elk Rose, Joe Julia and I are, are, are pretty good friends. Uh, I listen to uh, Dan Staten with Elk Shape. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and that's kind of maybe where a little bit of this came from because Dan's on there. And, of course, you know, he's the CrossFit guy and he's, you know, um, and he, he very, very, very good elk hunter. But guys our age can't throw a 50-pound pack on our backs and go look eight miles in this amount of time and then turn around and do this. Now, I still hunt Colorado every year. I still climb to 11,000 feet. So does Mike. So does Larry. Larry was out last year in Montana doing that. But it just takes us a little bit longer, and there's things that we have to do. So I was listening to guys on here and the bulk of the podcast were, well, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to go out there and, you know, and, and shoot this many times a night. And a lot of guys our age got bad shoulders or bad, you know, bad bites. And, that, and then maybe they can only go out there and shoot 25 or 30 times. So we tell them, look, just get comfortable with what you can do because when that elk shows up, you're only going to have one, one shot, shot anyway. Yes, sir. As long as you can pull that, as long as you can pull that back and anchor it and put your pen and you're confident. If you only shoot 20 arrows a night, if you build your confidence, that's, that's all you need to do. And, and we've had people on here that were uh, physical uh, training experts for people over 50. We had a lady out of Idaho that runs a, uh, a site called terrific after 50. And she gave a lot of really good information. We had a, uh, a guy that used to serve as a medic, Underneath Colonel Mike in the in the uh, Rangers, that's now an, a a nurse here in Louisville. We had him on talking about how to recognize the signs of a stroke or a heart attack mm-hmm. or uh, diabetes and just uh, the things that older people need to be concerned about. So that's kind of how we got started. Was I was listening to everybody's podcast and there's a lot of information, but nothing really geared to the guys our age. So I talked, of course, Mike's the youngster in the group, but Larry and I are right at the same age, 71, 72. And uh, they they listen to podcasts and, you know, they said, you know, you're kind of right. There's really nothing out here for the older folks. So we, we try to give something to everybody, like our archery podcast or first aid. You know, the first aid was everything from, from uh, bad sunburns and blisters all the way to diabetes. Even though it's geared to the older people, it's also something that can help everybody Everyone. that's in the field. Yes, sir. So, yep. So, so why do you guys think? And just you know, the thought came to my head as you're talking. Why? Why do we check out? And and I'm gonna make you know, I can't speak for the ladies, and I don't think you guys can. But is it is it macho or just where we get to the point where it's like, oh, I don't think I could do it anymore? I mean, it's such a passion and a love for all of us to think about i'd rather die on the mountain than not be on the mountain to be honest with you you know why why do guys check out gals too why do they check out why do they think that you know that age is a limitation i mean you guys are beating the mountain michael well i yeah i'll actually speak for i can speak for for a woman um i think guy that sorry, my, I, I think that one of the We had, we had Larry. Go ahead, Mike. We'll Larry, let... your connection is bad, bud. 
Yeah, okay, here I am. Uh, there he is. I was going to say that, you know, oh, really? Okay. Uh, sorry. I'll just listen. But No, we got you now, buddy. Uh, a, a lot of times it's not, they don't really understand the other. Yeah, that. A lot of times, the older people don't understand there are other options besides the hard way. You know, I shoot a cow elk every year. My daughter shoots a cow elk every year. Not either. Uh, you know, a lot of times we'll we'll go around in a pickup truck, make a short stalk, and shoot an elk, and that's hunting. Uh, it doesn't have to be the hard way every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find a hunt for the animal you want to eat that doesn't I found out last year Larry. I don't have very many 14,000 foot Wyoming wilderness lost them there so, so to reiterate what Larry was saying, unfortunately, we have a bad connection on them, is you don't have to hunt something that's going to tax you every day. Um, you know, the definition of a hunt or the hunt doesn't change because you're driving the roads and having to, you know, get out the truck when you spot an animal and take your shot there. So I think that was the long and short of what Larry yeah. was saying. And Larry's right. We've talked about that before. Larry and I have, have hunted together Um you know, in Northern Montana and, you know, he's 20 years my senior and, and I walk behind him and he sets the pace. Did we still get to the top of the mountain every day? You're damn right. We did. Was it a little slower? You're damn right. It was, but we weren't giving up, mm-hmm. you know? And when it, when you're talking about like, why do people give up? I can tell you right now, you know, 10, 12 years ago, my lovely bride was bow hunting out with me out West. Um, you know, she can't do it anymore and God love her. She's very generous in the idea that she doesn't want to slow me down. She doesn't want to be a liability, but she just spent seven days fishing her ass off offshore and inshore. I mean, we were catching bonefish. We're catching sharks on the flats. We were catching, you know, mahi and barracuda offshore. So she's still working within her limits and she's still, you know, an advocate for everything we do, but she's smart enough to know what she can and can't do. She's not going to stop. Um, and that's where we're at with a lot of grizzle folks. Like, you know, you don't have, and that was to Larry's point, you don't have to get out there and do, um, you know, that DIY drop camp Alaska moose hunt for, you know, two weeks or, you know, that uh, public land, you know, elk, black bear combo uh, in Colorado or Idaho, you know, do what you can do and still enjoy it. Because before you know it, old man's going to call you home and how many seasons you got left. And we say that, we've said that on a few podcasts, how many seasons you got left. And as one of our big points in in the last podcast was, Get back into archery because the seasons are longer. The tags are cheaper. There's more over-the-counter tags. And if all you do is go out there and take pictures, you're still out there. That's right. You know? Um, bow in hand for that for that, for that that cow elk that walks within 15 yards. Good job. 
but but it's, you know, camera for one that's out of range. You know, it's kind of funny. We were talking about hunters fighting each other. I can remember 10 years ago here in Kentucky, the biggest fight that was going on here in the state. I mean, literally, fist fights in the parking lots after public meetings was between the crossbow guys and the upright bow guys. And UBK, the organization that I'm president of now, United Bow Hunters, they led the, the charge for we don't want crossbows in the same time as, you know, upright bows. And I mean, it was, and, but crossbows eventually got in and now they're, they're here or whatever. But now as we get older, I've got a gentleman going with me to Colorado this year for his first time. He's never been, he's always wanted to go. He used to be a very, very avid bow hunter, but he's had three operations on his shoulder now and he just can't pull it back. I said, well, man, Colorado will give you, a crossbow permit. I said, now it, it, it's not something you're going to get in two or three days, but why don't you check into it? And maybe we can get you out there at your dream hunt. You've always wanted to go and you're, you're finished raising your kids and you've got them all through college and paid all that money out. Now you can enjoy yourself a little bit. And uh, he said, well, I, I've never shot a crossbow, but I, I, I could probably do that. So he went and bought a real nice crossbow. And we got it all set up for him. And he called me here about two weeks ago and he said, Hey, I got my crossbow permit from Colorado. I'm definitely going with you. I said, well, we'll be out there the 15th through the, through the 31st. So, uh, but I mean, we got him back out in the field and, uh, yeah, we're old, you know, uh, sticklers are used to be uh, die, die hard in the wool, uh, upright bow. And I still, hunt with my bow i'm fortunate i still pull 65 pounds don't know how long that'll last but i still do but uh if not for the the crossbow he'd be sitting back here in kentucky during the season instead of getting out and, and maybe getting his one once of a lifetime hunt that he's always wanted to go do so that's kind of the whole premise of our show is there's things you can do we can get there are guides and outfitters that cater the older people, they'll get you out there and they'll get you in, in a blind overlooking a wallow or a water hole. And you're not climbing all day long and chasing, but you're going to hunt that wallow. But guess what? They, they kill elk there. So, uh, you know, you're in the field, you're doing what you want to do and you can, uh, enjoy yourself. So that, like I said, like Mike said, that's kind of, that, that's our whole premise behind grizzled outdoors is, is keeping the, the folks 50 and older, in the field, keeping them healthy. We encourage everybody, look, you know, don't just take off and run to the gym and say, I'm going to get in shape. And, you know, you need, you need to go have a physical, especially at your age. You need to know, you know, what, what your heart condition is and everything else before you start doing all of that. But once you're cleared, then have at it. It's funny because I say I'm in the gym three or four days a week. And I would say it, it's kind of funny. You've got one crowd that's in there. That's the real serious bodybuilders, I mean, the, you know, the younger guys, the 20s and 30s, and then you got a lot of people that's in their 60s and older that are in there, you know, and uh, you lose bone, you know, you lose bone mass, you lose muscle mass once you hit 50, and you really start losing it after you hit 60 unless You're you stay active, and right. if you stay active, you don't lose that, and that's, that's kind of what we're just trying to do, just 
let people say, hey, man, you can still be out here in the woods with us and having a good time. You know, you you, you started talking about the blinds and outfitters that, that cater that. And, and years ago when my boy couldn't pull a tag, I was like, man, I want to get him out. I didn't want to wait till he was 12. How do I get him out hunting? So found a guy in Texas, uh, good old Jim Thompson. And uh, my next door neighbor, Leon, Leon was 71 or 72 at the time. And told him, you know, we were talking one day and he said, man, I've always wanted to go hunting. And I said, well, you're going with us. And I called old Jim and Jim said, we'll set him up. And man, they set up a box blind for him that in December (laughs) with a heater and all, man. And we went down there and I think we came back. I think we had nine deer between the three of us and probably three or four pigs. <laughs> and he had the time of his life. And and I'll never forget the impression that that left on me. Um, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not taking credit for it, but to see him and hear that he wanted to experience that and he had never, just never had, right? I mean, you're talking California. Um, I mean, Leon was a hard, I think Leon is working to this day. That man was a hard working SOB. And man, to, to experience that with him—I mean, first time in his life that he was able to get out there and and man, he killed a nice buck too, a couple does. Uh, but just a phenomenal experience. Uh, but it kind of brought me full circle. I mean, you're talking. This was, geez, how old is my boy? He's 21. So you're talking. I think he was seven, 15, 16 years ago to experience that with him, man. It, it's something else. Um, so that encouragement that you guys are providing you know, for folks to get out and, and do that, you know, in their grizzled years is, uh, is phenomenal to me. I, I mean, honestly, I ain't that far off a of grizzled my daggum self <laughs> as, uh, as Mike was saying, what, you know, giving us the definition of grizzled, my camera was on the screen here and I looked up and I just grinned. <laughs> um, so you have a, you have a safety first series going on and you did, what was it? First aid with Felix, I believe. Um, that's correct. And then you have the, the he, he was Mike, the corpsman for Mike. Oh, okay. Back in the day, that was that yeah, was. Yeah, he was. He was one of my my medics over twenty years ago. Yeah, he's and he's become a registered nurse and he works in the ER. Um, he's one of the you know, you always run into those soldiers, right? You run into those soldiers that got in the service because that's what they wanted to do, and then you're like, damn man, that that guy's smart skilled he's got all this going for him and then you know of course you get transferred to your next commander your next assignment and then you find out later that the guy left the service and became a registered nurse and is kicking ass in emergency room you know service and and i reached out to him and because and, uh, ed wanted to do the the first aid and, and he was all about it and felix did a great job and uh, um he's a gentle giant if you ever if you ever have the the opportunity to meet Felix, he's a he's a sweetheart. He's big enough to throw a grown man through a plate glass window, but he is a gentle <laughs> giant. I yeah. might I yeah. might have to get yeah. him on, man, because you know we talk about you know, and, and Ed knows I'm a gear a gear fanatic, um, and you know you start talking about first aid and first aid kits, and you know guys will have them in their pack, but you know, and I'm just throwing a number out: ninety percent of us don't know how to utilize. Uh, tourniquets, um, you know, zip stitch, things like that, how to, you know, um, stop bleeding. So it's pretty interesting that we'll carry this stuff around and, and not even know how to use it. And, and I've been kind of, you know, hitting on that with, uh, with the Elk Bros Adventure Coaching, 
uh, with our guys there, you know, it's like taking your weapon in the field and not knowing how to shoot it. Um, you know, if you're a, shooting your bow and you can't shoot at 20 yards, what what's the point of having it in the field? So I might have to get uh, Felix on and talk to him about that and just kind of run through it. That'd be pretty cool. It's yeah, funny, I, I can I can hook you I can hook you guys up. Okay. There's there's no issue there. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And then, up. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I just gonna say it's funny you brought that up because years and years ago I got certified with uh, you know first aid, CPR, all that kind of stuff. And then I, I helped. Uh, I was a scout master for a while, way back when my kids were little. And back then, tourniquets were, I mean, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Only use them in, as the last resort. Well, here, about six months ago, I knew we were going to do this. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to go get recertified because I had my card had expired five, six, seven years ago or whatever. And I didn't need it anymore because I don't work in the field. I'm pretty much uh, office bound all the time. But anyway, I went and got recertified. And I'm like, boy, they do CPR. Way altogether different, different than yeah. what I learned. <laughs> and and then and then Felix gets on and starts talking about, oh no, you, you yeah, everybody should have a tourniquet and this is the one you want to buy. Don't buy these, buy this one. And I said, wait a minute, I thought tourniquets, he goes, Oh no. He said, We found out after our involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan, the military figured out that tourniquets are what what you need to have in your in your pocket, mm -hmm. more so than anything. He said it used to be clear the airways. He said now it's stop the bleeding first, then check the airways. So we all learned yeah. a lot listening to him. So I'm sure he could do you a great yeah. job on there. Yeah, we'll have to get him on. Yeah, we we've learned that you know in the last 20 years of my career as an infantry officer, we were in Iraq and Afghanistan. So 26 years, you know, and I'm not saying I was deployed that whole time, but I was in the service that whole time. So we're either preparing a unit to go, we're, we're overseas or we're, you know, recovering a unit and people talk about all the time, all of our amputees that we have. And I, and I try to explain to them, like, that's a combat medicine quantum leap. We, we stopped training soldiers in just plain old first aid so long ago. I don't remember when it was. And we started training in what was called combat lifesaver first responder. And soldiers were trained in stop the bleeding with tourniquets. They were all certified to put in an IV. They were certified in needle chest decompression, which is what you use if someone's been shot through the chest and it's a single lung shot. So every single soldier had this like exceptional level of, um, you know, first responder type training that our actual unit medics, had any soldier that was at hand, right? Something went down and, and they could grab GI Joe that was on their left or their right. And that, and they'd say, Hey man, start a line. And that soldier knew how to put that IV in, or they'd say, here, man, hold this while I put the tourniquet on. And so years ago when someone, you know, got, you know, a leg below the knee completely destroyed, they died. They just died. Now, between the medics knowing what they're doing and every single GI Joe and GI Jane on the battlefield being able to use a, a you know a commercial off the shelf tourniquet, you know because we used to we used to do them with a with a uh, a cravat or a crevasse, a little piece of cotton. They taught us how to do them years ago with just you know stuff you could improvise. Um, but you know battlefield medicine has gone, you know 
to places we never thought it would 30 years ago when we were all brand new, you know, young soldiers and Marines. And Felix is really good at that still to this day. So I didn't lose my train of thought. I was just trying to word it right. All of it's fine and dandy, right? All that training, you know, if you're, if you're out there and you have to perform on yourself, right? There is a, a level of mm-hmm. calmness you're going to have to have in order to do that, right? You start panicking and you know how that goes, right? The, the drowning man drowns himself sure. uh, via panic. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing it or going and sitting in the class is not enough. I mean, you have to know this. You have to walk yourself, in my opinion, you have to walk yourself through those scenarios in the wood. Uh, how are you going to handle that? And actually have a, a conscious path of thought, ahead of time. So when you're in that situation, no matter the age, um, you can handle it, right? Because people tend to tend to panic. Uh, for me, part of my my calm with that stuff is I know where my first aid kit is. It's always in the same location. My hunting partners know exactly where in my pack it is. Um, and being able to grab that and perform and not, you know, struggle to get it or pull everything out of the pack and scramble. I mean, th- these are all in my head, life-saving tricks, right? But just being well-versed in that first aid kit and those scenarios is going to be huge. Um, I forget what it was. Somebody just posted an arrow through the leg, um, man, a couple days ago. And, and, you know, I think it was a few years ago. I want to say it was a a Newburgh hunt or something. And somebody took, uh, took a broadhead uh, to the calf and they had to improvise uh, in the field to get that bleeding to stop. Oh, what's the gentleman's name? He says, David Brinker, I think it was. I could be wrong on that. Um, you know, and he had some seasoned guys out there that that were able to improvise. And I was kind of surprised there was no first aid kit uh, with the correct equipment. So if you're not versed in that stuff, you know, improvising. Yeah, imp- improvisation. Yeah, there you go. It's out the window, right? So you, you got you to gotta right. walk through that stuff. And I just wanted to make sure I said that because, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, going through – Going through our coach season for Elk Bros, man, it's, you know, it's one of the things that I have to reiterate, uh, but I want to reiterate that to everyone because uh, you'd be surprised, man. There's guys and gals that go in the field and it is not even a thought to have a first aid kit in that pack or that fanny pack or a pocket, whatever yeah. it is. Right. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny you bring that up. I, um, I just did a post with my first aid kit and it's, extremely comprehensive and everybody's like, man, that thing's really heavy. It, it, it's less than two pounds. And there's things that are in there like an EpiPen. I'm not allergic to, to much on the planet, but that's actually for somebody that I bump into. And there was a time I actually got a article published in Buell magazine about me helping a dude that got stranded. He wasn't hurt, but he was stranded out West. He'd been out there for 13 days and was four days late. There's things that you plan for when you're guys like me and Ed and Larry and you have the experience, and, and I try to tell people, don't buy a commercial off-the-shelf first aid kit. Build your first aid yes. kit off of what works for you. And a lot of the, and and a lot of the things that Felix said was about things that, and, and it really made sense to us. He, you know, he said things that that were it seemed super fundamental and simple, like. He was like, hey, Colonel, you know, you got stuck in Alaska for an extra 10 days, Did or it wasn't 10 days, it was uh, six days. You know, did you have extra meds? And I was like, well, Felix, I don't take meds. He goes, but you get my point. I'm like, yes. And I told people, you know, I've been on, I do a lot of solo hunting. 
And a lot of the wounds that I care for are my hands. Like I'll be caping something and cut myself or I'll be working on a blind and cut myself. How do you address a severe wound on your hand? Because you have to use your other hand and your teeth. You know, I mean, you don't have, you can't use that hand. And so there's a, you know, to your point, um, you know, it's not just what I've got in my pack, what Ed's got in his pack, what we're all prepared to do. Um, you, you've got to actually have a little bit of field craft and knowing what you're doing, or you're going to, you're going to screw it up. You know, I, I, and hopefully not, to, you know, to your own demise. <laughs> I'm going to reiterate, at least it's in your pack. You know what I mean? That That's the worst, the worst case scenario is you have nothing. You have zero oh, yeah. zilch, not a the jackasses. They cut their, they, they, yeah, they cut their, they cut the toothbrush in half to save weight. And then they don't have any kind of first aid equipment. Yeah. I, I mean, what's like, worth, what? What, are you doing? what amount of weight is worth your life or your hunting partner's? Or another hunter sure. that you come hunter across Felix for that made matter. a good point. Yeah, Felix made a good point in that a lot of guys, they'll take their first aid kit, and guess where it's at? It's at the very bottom of the pack, the hard to get to. And, you know, he talked about, you guys, you, you need to have it on an exterior pocket or near the top that if, if you're hurt and you're by yourself and you're one-handed, like Mike's talking about, you can dig through it and get it out quickly put it to where it's accessible uh there's a lot of good points you know the grizzled guys uh, that that we cater to i go out with i I'm, I'm out there every year i go two weeks colorado every year that i usually go spend a week in in utah then probably finish up on a late antelope hunt on an indian reservation in montana but when i go out there with other people i've got this old paperwork thing i fill out and everybody thinks i'm i'm just i don't know not a jerk but but they're like, what the hell is this for? And I ask them, what's your medical condition? What are you allergic to? Because if I'm out there and some guy with me goes down, I already know he has a heart issue and he's got nitro pills with him or whatever, or he's susceptible to low sugar diabetes. And I know what's going on. Uh, you know, uh, Felix talked about assessing the risk or assessing the, the situation is so important, figuring out what's wrong. And I make these guys, if I'm going with a group of guys, you know, I make them tell me, okay, let's, let's do a little bit of your medical history. And then I want an emergency phone number. Cause if I got to get you to the hospital and they got to ask somebody if it's okay to go in and do surgery, I got to have that number. So, I mean, it's almost like you used to have to do for your kids. When you send them off to camp, you fill out all the medical history. I do the same thing with these guys that go with me every year, but just for the first, especially the first time, just because you know, you never know what's going to happen when you're out there. That that's an excellent point. I never even really consider. I mean, realistically, we should all know what you know, what our hunting buddies or camp partners or however you look at it, what those limitations are medically or otherwise. And and hopefully those folks are honest. And I think there's some level of of uh, machismo that comes into it with uh, with us younger uh, younger grizzled guys. Um, that are still holding on, right? To those to those uh, years where you can be dumb and and uh, not look before you leap, so to speak. Yep. <laughs> right. Pride, yep. Pr- well, foolish you know pride, is something else. I like to say, I've been there, done that, and got the t-shirt. You know, we've all been young, <laughs> you know, headstrong, and and uh, you know, oh, I can do that. I can do that. And 
then as I got older, I'd say, I could do that. And about halfway through, I'd say, ah, I might be able to do that, but it's going, it's but going, it's to. going to take me a whole lot longer. And, uh, you know, we'll go to Colorado. And, and a couple of times I went with some younger guys and I'm like, Hey, y'all just go, you got your onyx. We'll meet back here at, you know, Oh, 600 or, or whatever. We're going to meet, but you know, go, I don't wait on me. I'm not going to slow you down. And, I take my time and do what I need to do. But, uh, uh, yeah, knowing, knowing what everybody else's is situation could be, especially the older guys, you know, the guys that are 60 and 70 years old. I met two guys in Colorado. I told you earlier that I, that I killed a vice bull up near rifle mm-hmm. and, and we hunted out of a lodge, uh, up there and went out every day with guides. But there were two other guys in camp with me besides me. One was 83, one was 81, and they both killed nice bulls. This was a rifle hunt. It wasn't a boat hunt. But they were in pretty good shape, and they walked, you know, three, four miles a day. The guy said, well, you know, we just took our time, and we just, you know, took it easy. But both, both these guys were in their 80s, and they both killed nice bulls. And what was funny is they, they'd been coming to this same guy for like 20 years, and we got ready to load up. I said, so y'all headed back to Wisconsin? And they're like, no, no, we're going to South Dakota. We're waterfowl hunting, man. The migration's going strong. We're going to go up there. And I'm like, man, that, you're my hero. You know? yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I want to do. So, And if, I mean, that, and that's perfect, right? If, if you, if you temper what you're trying to attack to a point doesn't have to be extreme to where, you know, you're, you're, I don't know, a perceived crybaby about it, but temper what you can do in terms of physicality and go on that next hunt. Right. If you go out there and you beat yourself up, you get injured. Um, and man, I I'm feeling it now, right. It is, it takes me quite a bit longer to recover and I'm stubborn and I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. Last year I had that back injury. (laughs) And man, that back injury plagued me up until August. And I mean, you're talking that was what, February? Yeah, it was February when I hurt my back. And uh, every now, like I, uh, Dr. Preston Ward just uh, just did some dried needling on me a week or two ago. Um, I'm pulling my bow and I try to do, you know, 50 reps a day and I'm pulling my bow and I could start feeling that little, that little spot bothering me. And I ran over to him and I said, hey, man, you were at archery shoot. I'm going, this thing has been bothering me. So he did some dry needling and then that daggum scraping. I don't know if you've ever done that, but you want to talk about painful. Um, and I'm good, Ooh. you know, but it's like, woof, it's it's catching up. It, 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 there's no avoiding it. <laughs> so, so tempering <laughs> yeah. what we could do, you know, physically out there is something else. I haven't started tempering that. I see a hill. And I'm still like, oh, I can climb it and may not be a daggum animal up that hill. But if I say I'm going to climb it, I'm going. And uh, shoot, last year I climbed, I climbed one, took me about an hour and 45 minutes. I went from like nine, nine, five to 11, four. And I was up on the top of this thing and I get up top of there and I'm like, this is all mule deer country. <laughs> they ain't an elk around. I called Joe Gillian and said, hey, man, guess what I just did? <laughs> and it started pouring. <laughs> Oh. You know, it, it's good to have friends. It's good to have friends with you. Uh, my my Colorado story last year wasn't uh, the best. We left Louisville and we drove 16 hours the first day. We went out early last year. We went out. We got there for opening day, day before opening day, and we hunted the first 15 days. And uh, this year we're going back to my favorite time, getting there uh, the week before the equinox, at about the 15th. 
and they're, you know they're starting to move more into the rut they're bugling more and calling works a lot better but anyway we left we drove 16 hours we end up in burlington colorado and on the way out i started you know telling the guy i was riding with i man, I, i'm just man i don't know what's wrong just just don't feel real good but i'll, I'll be fine i'll be fine and just kind of kept on and I drove my share and everything. And we rolled into Burlington that night and stopped and got something to eat. And they had a little, little tavern there where we were staying. They said, yeah, let's go ahead and have a beer. I'm like, guys, I think I'm just going to go to bed. I, I just don't feel real good. I'm going to get a good night's sleep. So I go in. Well, all through the night, I got this fever and I'm burning, then cold then burning, then chills and I'm getting up and wiping my face off and getting back, and he, he's laying over there. He's a local sheriff up here. He's an ex-conservation officer, and he, got, he ran for sheriff and got elected. So the next morning, I get up, and I'm like, uh, I'm going to take a shower, and we'll get packed, and we'll get out of here. We got about a six-hour drive to where our camp is. I get in the shower, I get out, and I come walking out of the bathroom, and he's there with Two other guys there's four of us going two vehicles and there are three guys there they're like come on get dressed i'm like well i am i'm hurrying up guys they said no get dressed i said what do you mean he said we're taking you to the hospital you're sick and i'm like no 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 guys i'll be fine come on let's go let's get the truck no let's go and i finally they just demanded so i got dressed and went over there went into the kit carson regional hospital there in burlington Got in there for about 30 minutes. They ran some tests. A guy comes in. He goes, you got COVID, Mr. Morris. And uh, we're going to keep you probably for three or four days. I'm like, no, you're not. We're driving. I got, we got opening day tomorrow morning, you know, or whatever. And uh, he said, no, no. And I couldn't hardly breathe. My lungs were so full. And I'm, I'm like, no, he goes, no, you need to be, you need to be in the hospital. And, you know, he said, just, we're we going to put you on breathing treatment. We're going to get you started on these, you know, antibiotics and these steroids and this and that. I'm, I'm like, come on guys. I mean, is, is there anything we can do? And I talked to him, well, my doctor was wearing a PSE archery hat. And I'm like, <laughs> there come we on, go. man, you're, you're a bow hunter, aren't you? And he said, well, said, are, are you tent camping or what? I said, no, where, where we stay at, they have cabins and they're, they're, they're heated in there and they got nice beds and showers. I said, but then typically we'll hunt out of the cabins for a day or two and then we'll backpack in maybe two or three days and come back to the cabins. He said, well, you got to promise me you're going to lay on your ass for four days in that cabin. And if you're going to do that, if you'll promise me that, then I'll discharge it, but you're going to have to take all these meds and you're going to have to do this, but you're going to have to stay in there or you're going to be in trouble. I'm like, all right, I, that's what I'll do. So my buddies, so the next day we get there, you know, we drove the next map that day, six hours, got to camp next morning's opening day. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be good guys. I'm going to stay here. And I did. Well, my buddy that I was riding with, he killed a bull that morning at an area that I told him where I, I was going to go hunt. I said, cause he hadn't been out there before. I said, Scott, this is where I would go. And, and, uh, it's always been a good area and I think you'll do good. And about nine 30 that morning, I get that. We, we have a Zoeos because you know, there's no coverage there and like, kind of like an in reach. We use the Zoeos. I get this text on my phone through my Zoeo said, I just killed one. I'm like, Oh man. So, they, uh, they end up getting it. They brought it back, and I'm. It's about one or two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, you know, 
guys, I, I think I could probably go out there. And they're like, nope, nope. You heard what the doctor said. And they literally made me, I sat there in that cabin mm-hmm. for two or three days. And then uh, got to the point where I could finally get out and go, but I couldn't climb. I couldn't walk more than about a mile and my breath was gone. I had to sit down. So my hunt was pretty much shot. I hunted close to the road as I could, you know, take my, my side by side back in as far as they'd let me, you know, legally on the roads. We hunted some management areas and some BLM property and then maybe walk off the road a half mile or mile. And I got into some elk, but it just couldn't do what I wanted to do. But having my buddies there, I might've put myself in serious trouble if yeah. I didn't have my buddies there to say, no, you're, you're not going to do that. You, you know? know, you know, you would have, <laughs> And that, you're right. Cause we're going to push it. We're so used to pushing it. We're going to push it. Right. It's the hunt. We wait all year for it. I'm going right, wrong or indifferent, foolish or, or otherwise, you know, you're doing it. You said something there. Well, you said a few things, but the and, and the personal locator beacon, um, the Zolio, you know, Garmin inReach, the inReach mini, what have you. Um, I find that increasingly important. Um you know, as you get up there in years, especially, you know, for me, I solo. So it's a way I communicate with my wife when I'm on the mountain. I had an experience some years ago where, you know, that was the first time that, that I was in a mayday type of situation. Um, and I, I won't leave home without having, you know, at that time it was spot, but now I, I run my in reach. Um, but I think those are important, man, to have that. Um, that's life-saving. I mean, you push a button, you know, I, I don't want to find out how long it's going to take them to get to me. So hopefully I don't have to push it. Um, but to have that ability, if something happens, heart attack, you know, serious injury, broken leg, whatever, bleeding out, um, to have that, you know, to be able to push that button and, and get help on the way is a big deal. And if anybody's, you know, interested in, in looking into those Zolio, um, I know Joe loves the Zolio. I'm an inReach fan. Um, but they're, I think, I want to say it's 11 bucks a month for the, you know, air quote insurance. Nice thing about, yeah, nice thing about the Zolios is I program in three numbers. And my wife is one of them. Usually one of them is one of the other hunting buddies at our party. Not somebody that I'm hunting with, but somebody that's out there in the same area. And, uh, you know, whoever the third is. But I program in the Zolio. Uh, guy and every 30 minutes it sends my coordinates to those three people mm-hmm. and shows them where I'm at this automatically sends it and and it'll continue to do that every 30 minutes you can program it to ever whatever I originally had it programmed in there for like every 10 minutes my right. wife got tired of getting, getting it the goes, yeah, you know same. so I went to walk them out but the nice thing about that is it yeah that it, they've all got that emergency button that 911 button that you can hit but if you were to fall and hit your head and not be able to hit it and you come up missing and people start looking for you, right. they can at least look at those and track you. And they say, well, here's the path he was on. And, it's, but you know, here's where it's, and it's still, it's been sending from this location for the last hour and a half. So mm-hmm. they can still find you. Even if you don't hit that button, they can still locate you with those things. So, yeah. They're, they're all pretty heavy. Yeah. Mike, Mike did our safety show. Mike did a big thing about those. The only downside well, with the Zolio you know, to me, I'm oh, sorry. I'm, no, go ahead. I was going to say the only downside with the Zolio to me is that you have to have your phone for it to function, uh, you know, fully. Right. right. That's the only so it's, down it's, for me. It's, 
Right. It's power management. So if you're out in Colorado where you're going to have an ability to recharge everything every evening, that then the Zolio, I'm with you, is, is probably a good solution. You know, we were, we've done some very long range DIY Alaska trips, me and my army buddies and power management's a big deal. You're not going to run a solar panel in Alaska. There's just not going to be enough sunshine to recharge anything. And I'm a huge Garmin inReach fan. Um, we did a drop camp, uh, Alaska moose hunt, um, the year that the big typhoon hit the Alaskan coasts. And on the ninth day of our uh, drop camp hunt, it started raining. And they had, you know, what we call a hurricane in the Atlantic Ocean. They call a typhoon out there. It was battering the Alaska coast. And for six or seven days, there was nothing flying in Alaska. And we were, I think we are four or five. I, it's been, you know, I'm not a young man anymore remembering exactly how it went down. But we were, I think, 16 or 17 days getting out of there on a 10-day, supposed to be out on the 11th morning. We're out of food. Thank God some drift boat or some um, uh, long-range um, uh, guys that were doing a float hunt for moose floated into our camp, and they had actually killed a moose. They were, they were out of fuel. They were out of coffee. We were out of food. Of course, they had a dead moose, so we started – sharing stuff and we helped them get their moose up under a tarp and out of the rain but it was days and days and days of rain and all i had was texting on satellite uh, via garmin inreach to my wife and of course my buddy who had this cell phone solution and he was going to use a solar panel to recharge and i told him i'm like bro it's not going to work he was, you know, um, my wife was texting and calling his wife because my Garmin inReach could get to everyone. Mm -hmm. And we were almost out of sat, we were almost out of sat phone battery too, because we've been up there so long. So yeah, I'm a huge Garmin inReach fan. My backup is a spot because spot runs on AAA batteries and you can always put a brand new set of AAAs in a spot device. And I have the old spot as a backup. Mm-hmm. But I'm a big Garmin inReach fan because it, it keeps me from also having to have a GPS. Yep. You know, it's a it's a GPS and and a and a satellite communicator. And then when we talk about phones, right? I mean, airplane mode, folks. You want to conserve battery? Oh yeah, that sucker on airplane mode, so it's not always searching. Yep. Um, it's not working that stuff in the yep. background. Yeah, use it as a camera. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about it. I mean, in, in you know, in terms of the inReach. Um, you know, if you're in a situation like that, turn that in reach off and have, you know, communicate your check-in times, communicate the check-in times. I mean, if mm-hmm. you're in a situation that's dire like that, I mean, you got to power management, like, uh, like Mike said, is, uh, is paramount. I mean, you extend that, you extend that to a, to a point and batteries are dead. I mean, I don't care what you do, but you know, the longer you can keep yeah. plugging away, the better. So how does... How does altitude have you have you guys seen an effect with the with the years in terms of getting up you know above that kind of that eighty five hundred mark is typically where folks that you know see uh, problems but when you get for me uh, a couple of years back man I hit eleven I think it was eleven four eleven five and uh, I got uh, I got uh, the cranial edema like unbelievable i i missed Ooh. opening day i was calling for uh calling for my friend brandon waddell and uh i had to i just laid in the tent 
all day long. I could not budge, man. I was trying to fight it. I knew I should have dropped elevation. Eyes felt like they were bulging out of my head. I'm throwing up in my sleep. Um, and that was coming from, you know, 17 foot above sea level up to with no acclimation. Right. I mean, we just immediately went mm -hmm. up to 11, four, 11, five foolishly. Um, but have, yeah. you, have you seen the effect so, over the years getting up to altitude? Yeah, uh, well, of course we have, ahead, and, and what we, yeah, of course we have, and we, we brought that up, but one of the things that we, you know, we recommend to people when they reach out to us, I don't think we've talked about it on the show, but people that reach out to us on, you know, Facebook and Instagram with questions, and they say, hey, I'm going on this this hunt out west, and, I, you know, of course we advocate for all the normal solutions, right, stay hydrated, make sure that you have, you know, your, your ibuprofen or your baby aspirin and maybe even take one preventatively. But, um, you know, anybody that's reached out to us that I've answered, I've, I've told them, I'm like, look, man, at our age, you need to get out there a day or two early and yes, scout. Absolutely. Get, get, get your shit, get your shit set up in camp and, and do the, and, and, and set that up at, you know, you're setting camp up at altitude. You know, Ed's talked about some of his hunts at altitude on this, on this conversation. You know, we camp generally between like 7,500 and 9,000, depending on which unit and where we're going in, just setting that camp up, you know, helps. And then, you know, the next day you're not going up the mountain with a full pack because you don't need your kill kit. You don't necessarily need, you know, any of the, the stuff that you might actually have to have to, to hunt elk or mule deer and you're scouting, Hey, which water hole is getting hit? Where, where are they, where are they at? So I, I'm a huge advocate, um, especially for people that are bow hunting to get there. My, my favorite strategy and scenario is get there a few days before open opening day. Um, like in Colorado, that's usually the first few days of September, get there a few days early and set up camp, shoot your bow, have a meal, relax, sleep one night, get up the next morning and go scout the terrain and see where the elk are actually at. Cause that time of year, it's really warm. They're generally not far from water. You can do pretty good over water that time of year, or if you can find a wall that's being used, they're not rutting yet, but give yourself a couple of days to, to acclimate, you know, and, those people that do big time mountaineering, you know, whether it's, you know, Kilimanjaro or, 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 you know, Mount Everest, they go from base camp to base camp to base camp over a period of weeks mm -hmm. to make sure their body can handle it. Yep. And I, yeah, I, I, we, when we first started elk hunting out West, I was a young officer. I was in my early mid thirties. And I remember the first day that I had altitude sickness and um, I actually carried a climbing stand on my back on top of my day pack. I was only like a mile and a half outside of camp to, to this really good travel corridor that was connecting a, a, a bunch of different places that the elk were using. They were going to have to come past me. But by the time I climbed that Aspen tree, I was vomiting. You know, I had nausea. My head was killing me. It's like, this is never happening again, man. So our, my biggest number one touch point for old folk for grizzled folk is get out there a few days early and work your way into it. Do not do the bomb your way out there, 20 hour drive, then get up the mountain the next day. You could really hurt yourself. Yeah. And, and so folks know, right. Yeah, there's, there's I'm three. Big on acclimating. Sorry, Ed, go ahead. 
go go ahead go ahead i was yeah. gonna say there's there's three types of high uh high altitude sickness there's a uh, high altitude cranial edema pulmonary edema and then there's high altitude what did he say flautus expulsion so you get a you get a gassy gut right and every other step is uh is flatulence um but with that with the pulmonary being the worst uh, in terms of, you know, what could happen, you'll get a, uh, a pink sputum. Um, you know, you're just coughing up all the time. The high cranial uh, or high altitude cranial edema um, is, is what I had. And you want to talk about uh, a pain. I mean, your head, it feels like your eyes are going to pop out of your head. Um, all the small blood vessels in your eyes. I mean, your eyes are going to be red um, and you're not escaping that, that, uh, that headache. Uh, you drop down elevation and you'll feel it. I mean, I, I literally, we broke the 9,200 mark coming off of that 11.4, 11.5. And I can feel, instantly feel the relief. Now, the headache lingered for about a day. Uh, and I just hunted low the rest of the time, just about. I think it took me about a week um, to want to go back up after that uh, after that bout of it. But just, you know, understand what those are. I have a podcast um, that I did uh, with... Uh, the Denver High Altitude Research Center with a with one of the doctors there talking about it. If anybody wants to listen to it, but we're all susceptible, grizzled or otherwise. Go ahead, Ed. I apologize. Yeah, you know, we had to take a guy. We had to take a guy off the mountain two years ago, and he's a younger guy in his forties. It's not just something that hits you know any a grizzled. Uh, he's in his forties, a firefighter, good shape. Uh, we usually get there. We'll hunt if we get there close to opening day or if we're rolling in there like the 15th 16th when season's already open we typically will stay about eight thousand we've got a couple of wildlife management areas that have been pretty good to us in years past and they're, they're about eight thousand eighty five hundred and and we'll we'll stay there and acclimate for a day or two and then since we're there for 15 days we'll slowly but we went up about the fifth or sixth day went up on top of grand mason i think it was 10 8 or 10 9 spent the night and the next morning the the one guy with us i mean he was just uh literally in tears was he said his, you know his head felt like it was ready to explode he was real dizzy uh nauseous and and i mean he just i mean he said man it, it, we got to get you off this mountain and then guys just like you said when we got him back down to about 8500 he started feeling better and the rest of the trip that's where he stayed he, he never came back up uh, my doctor got me seven, eight, nine years ago. Uh, he fishes out west a lot. He's a he's an internist here in Louisville, uh, uh, but athlete, ex college basketball player, played in Final Four, all that kind of stuff. But he got me taking a baby aspirin, starting about thirty days, two weeks to thirty days before I ever go out there. He said, you know, you just need to thin your blood. Your blood carries the oxygen. The higher you go, the thicker your blood gets, and it slows down. The, the oxygen movement in your body. Your body starts getting starved for oxygen. He said, we need to thin that blood a little bit to help you out. He said, I could give you altitude pills, but a baby aspirin will probably work just as well. And I don't, I've, I've done it ever since then. I don't know what it would be like if I didn't take them, but I, I start about two or three weeks before I head out that way. And uh, I just start taking a baby aspirin every day. And I've, I've never had an issue with it, but Again, like you said, I stay, and like Mike said, I'll stay at 8,000, 8,500 for the first couple of days and acclimate. You know, I think that's a big part of it is getting your body used to it. Yeah, that's it's huge. What What do you think would be the contraindications when you say that about the baby aspirin thin? And I would, I would be concerned with, you know, 
getting that animal on the ground. If I cut my hand really bad or, you know, uh, you know, take an arrow or something <coughs> and I limit my clotting there, that would be the only thing that I would be concerned with in, in that realm. Yeah, I never yeah. really thought about it, but you're, but you're right. I mean, the, the, the thing about it is, 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 um, Maybe Aspirinax differently than ibuprofen. I think they normally recommend ibuprofen, but I, you know, an expert should should weigh in here. here. Here's the bottom line: if you're there early and you acclimate and you properly hydrate, because your blood volume yeah. has a huge effect on oh, your yes. blood pressure, which is what what gets affected between sea level and, and elevation. Um, you probably won't need any over the counter meds. Um, you know, I've got them in my pack. I've got them, you know, and I'm ready to use them. Um, I think they recommend two ibuprofen, you know, the first day. But if you don't need it, don't take it. Um, uh, nothing, 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 in my humble opinion, can substitute for getting there three early. days early. Yes, and sir. people say, man, three days vacation. Three days, okay, when I, was, when I was 28 and made a barbed wire, I didn't need it, but now as we're grizzled, and this is what we're talking about, I'm definitely going out there early. I don't even drive straight through anymore. I get a KOA campground somewhere in Eastern Kansas and, <laughs> and, and, and get a good night's sleep and a good meal. And, and, and then, and then I roll into camp and I'm not 23, 24 hours sleep deprived. Right. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, everything's just gotta be a little bit slower because we want to hunt next season. Mm-hmm. It's not about killing that bull this season. Maybe we, maybe all we get some good pictures this year. You know, like Larry, I'm trying to get Larry on the podcast on the podcast tonight with logging in and stuff. He had a hell of a meeting tonight with Lee Tuggy Sportsman. But but you know, Larry and I, when we went out to Montana, we didn't drive straight through. We're, and we won't. We're not going to. We got a big sand hill crane hunt up in Manitoba next year. We're not going straight to Manitoba. You know, we'll stop halfway. We're gonna make sure that we that we sleep eat, hydrate, take it. Are we going to have a bourbon? You're damn right. But we're going to sleep, eat, hydrate, and make sure we're ready to hunt and enjoy that hunt and, and be ready to hunt again next year. Yes, sir. You know, Ed's got a hell of a, Ed's got a hell of a Western schedule this year. Don't you? You got like three States, right? Yeah, I do. I'll be hunting over the counter last two weeks of September, uh, in, uh, Colorado. That's the over-the-counter unit. And then I drew a tag in Utah for the second week of October. And then usually the last week of October, I've, I, for the last four or five years, I've drawn it every year. It's a draw. I may not get it. I won't know. To the, they don't draw to the first week of August. Is an antelope hunt in Montana up on the Canadian border uh, on an Indian reservation. They have a draw every year for it and bison. And Larry and I both put in this year. I told Larry, I said, Larry, I draw that antelope tag every year. It cost me 10 bucks to apply for it. And I've, I've had real good luck up there. It's, I think, 3 million acres or whatever it is, a huge piece of property. But uh, we go up there and we and antelope hunt. One of these years, I'm going to draw a bison tag up there. But uh, so Larry and I put in. So that's usually the, the, the last week of October. So I'm going to Colorado, then Utah, and then finish up in Montana. 
Yeah, that's a season. Yeah, but good. you're pacing yourself. But you're pacing yeah, yourself, yeah, I mean, right? We don't drive. We don't drive straight through. We're like you. We get a good motel room on the road somewhere. We get a good meal. We sleep in, and then the next day we got a you know a little short six seven hour drive in. Gives us time to get set up for camp, get everything ready, take it easy, you know, then get a good night's sleep, and then boom, be ready to go. Uh, So it's uh, and and we used to do that. The the biggest thing is is it can be done. That's that's the awesome part about what you guys are doing, right? I mean, there it is. Look at that. Look at that Western Hunt schedule coming out from Kentucky at at seventy one years old. And and it 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 pains me it pains me to think that somebody is is hanging up the rifle, man, um, and they could be out there doing it if they just you know maybe maybe get rid of some of that that man pride that carries around with us until we're you know till we're up in the years. But you know it can be done. Some, yeah. some planning, some preparation. Absolutely. You and, know. Yep. And 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 I don't mean to cut you off, but like. Larry and I didn't draw. I didn't draw because I wasn't planning on retiring yet. I wasn't planning to retire from my second career as a high school teacher teaching junior ROTC until next year. So I didn't draw. And Larry and I were like, well, we still want to hunt out west together this year, not just out west together. It's that camaraderie, right? And, you know, Ed's got Bob Shannon House, his right-hand man. They're like Starsky and Hutch. Larry and I are like Starsky and Hutch or, or you know, Ponch and John. And Half the people listening don't know don't know those two references. So no. So so look, hey, just if you don't know those references, Google it and those are some of the coolest law enforcement shows that ever came out of the seventies and eighties. There you go. But Larry and I were like, Well, to hunt together, let's buy a landowner tag. We can't get two landowner tags in the same unit. It's just not going to happen. So I told Larry, I'm like, I'll bring my big camera. I'll just go. He's 72. You get the tag. You be the hunter. I'll go with you. And 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 that's what I I said, or Ed said, or Larry said. One of us said on on one of our podcasts, if you don't draw, and your niece or your nephew or your son or your daughter draws, grab your pack, get your boots, grab your camera, and get your ass out there and go with them. Or, at, or at go age, OTC. Go mem- go. Yeah, or, well, no, OTC, you can, we talked about, you can do, I. we just, Larry and I just bought um, lottery tickets. We've got a, a, ser- a tag service we use that every month or two they have you know a lottery for a couple hundred bucks you could put in larry put in for the new mexico oryx or gems buck mm-hmm. and the elk i put in for the uh, alaska moose and the elk but i put in for all the sheep hunts because i'm uh, at 52 I'm, i don't have enough points i'm not going to actually draw a big one but but if you don't draw go with your friends still go yep Make memories, you know, get out there. That's the point of the whole, that's what Grizzled is trying to do, right? Have the confidence, have the, get back out there and do it. That's it. And I, I think we're also trying to set the example that Larry's on, Larry! <laughs> I'm, I'm here. I've been watching uh, and listening, but uh, 
we're also trying to set the example that even though you may have done everything you wanted to do in the past, you're still not done doing it. Right. Uh, you, to the younger guys coming up and guys our age, we got a lot of we've got a lot of uh, uh, knowledge that we can pass on. that makes it a lot easier for you. You don't have to learn the lessons the hard way like we did. <laughs> We're going to tell you how to do it the easy way. There it is. You know, one other. I was just going to say one other thing that Larry can expand on a little bit too. We we build our show around grizzled, but we also cover every show opportunities for disabled with us three, especially being all ex military, uh, Larry having, uh, a hundred percent disability. Uh, you wouldn't know it to see him in the woods, but, uh, we, we, uh, Larry, especially he's gone out and found guides and outfitters who specialize in getting disabled people back out in the, in, in the woods and, and, uh, are on the water. I think, Larry, you just got back from a Purple Heart fishing trip, didn't you? I did. We went to Lake Erie and slayed them, and there were guys with, uh, you know, uh, what do you call them, prosthesis, hands and legs. And, uh, you know, it just takes a little bit of of ingenuity on our part. But, yeah, this, that's available to everybody. And uh, we had a I, – I did have an outfitter set up to do the elk hunt with myself and my daughter this fall. Uh, he's in a wheelchair. He's paraplegic with the exception. He obviously can move his hands, uh, but he, he can't get out of that wheelchair. And then the outfitter said, well, you know, we'll make it happen. We'll figure out how to do that. For Heck yeah. So those guys are anxious and willing to, to go that extra mile for, the, for, for that guy to enjoy something he may not ever have done. Last year, we did a, a wheelchair hunt. I had one of those wheelchairs on tracks, and we actually got him a couple of pheasants. Uh, it was a, it took four or five of us to help him get around and navigate over the rough terrain, but he did the job. When the time came, he pulled the trigger and got the pheasant. So there's a lot of enjoyment on both sides of that shotgun right there. Heck, yeah. I went on a hunt for a disabled outdoorsman. Utah, it seems like it's been about two years ago for, uh, for now my buddy Joe Corliss, and uh, same thing, man, track action chair. And he put the smack down on a ram. I mean, one of the one of the most spectacular shots uh, I've ever seen. I mean, that's he smacked that ram something good. And uh, man, that enjoyment, you know, all the way around to see it, to see it in him, to experience it with him is next flipping level, man. There's nothing. I don't know that there's anything better than that. Just, just watching your children do it. I don't know. I don't know because this is something. It, it is something that was. You know what I mean? It's like you, you, you have this this limitation, and you have this dream, and then just just mustering up enough to say this is what I'm doing, and then to have folks like like you know disabled outdoorsmen Utah, um, disabled outdoorsmen USA, track mobility. I mean, you have all these wonderful organizations. Uh, that that will put people out there and it's life changing and you see that yeah I can't say that it's better than than taking my kids out uh, because it's next level I, I I felt and experienced something a power in them that I that you don't experience with you know I, I hate to use the term but an able body person and it's just next level to me I, I love it man it's just phenomenal phenomenal paralyzed but but guy the thing is man is 
is you were still out there experiencing it, right? Yeah. Larry's still out there experiencing it. Like that's what, what we're saying, right? If if you've got someone that's disabled in your circle of influence or you're able to participate in one of these hunts and and you haven't been out there as much as you should, and that's our premise, right? That Ed came up with is grizzled. We're trying to get people back into the field or encourage them or give them the know-how, you know, and show them, hell, Larry's 72, Ed's going to be 72. They're still kicking ass. Mm-hmm. You can do that. Go out there and participate. Go out there and help the dude that's in a track chair. That's right. It's so much fun, man. And and, and it gives I'm you. I'm sorry, Larry. I think I cut you off. No, it's it's better. It's better watching them doing it than doing it yourself. Yeah. You know? it, it really is. Yeah, it's something else. I mean, look at Chav, right? I mean, Chav, a couple of years ago, man, was was stricken with cancer. And, you know, all the bros, Chav was sitting in the blind, man. I mean, you know, it was it was something phenomenal. And see the impact that that had on Joe and, and Chav. And then to go, you know, shoot with Chav and see Chav, you know, getting back to back to his bow pulling strength. Um, he even grabbed my <laughs> grabbed my thumb release and said, "What is that thing there?" And uh, pulled back. He scented wonky, but you know it, it's exceptional to watch those guys, you know, fight through that and and you see the spark in them, right? I, I beat this, and it's like that drive just just gets even stronger. It's something else, man. I, I will tell you, I, I can I can start the clock on my recovery from from getting out of the hospital after Vietnam on the first duck that I killed. There uh, go. It, it was, it was, uh, an experience. It took three or four guys, to get me in the boat, get the decoy set up. It was Northern New Hampshire in the middle of winter. It was deadly cold. One duck came in and I killed it with one shot. And I can tell you that I started my recovery on that moment. Heck yeah. There it is. Well, gents, we're, uh, we're over the time that I stipulated for you and I don't want to hold you up anymore. Um, I appreciate what you guys are doing. Uh, I'm enjoying the heck out of the podcast. Um, I'm trying to push myself back down away from Grizzled, but I don't think that's going to happen. So <laughs> there's even more <laughs> appreciation in that respect. Why don't you let folks know where they can find the podcast if they want to get a hold of you guys and, and have uh, have a conversation or if they have anything to offer to the conversation. Thank you, guy. Our, uh, you can reach us. We're on Podbean. It, it's it's uh, Grizzled Outdoors. We also have a Facebook page, and we're on Instagram. And uh, we're in the process of getting our website up. But the easiest way to reach out and send us a question or anything is just go to our Facebook page, Grizzled Outdoors, and just send us a private message or make a post or do it on Instagram. Uh, it's amazing. I'm like I say, we've had nine or ten shows. That's it. Uh, and we've got people calling us from California and New York and Pennsylvania. It's, uh, it's just kind of been, uh, uh to us very surprising, but we're, we're getting, we had a, a little contest. We had a, uh, one of our, we picked up a sponsor and, uh, like I say, we're, we're Larry and, and Mike are retired. I'm soon to be retired. We're doing this more for fun than anything else, but, uh, some people that I know uh, said, you know, hey, we'll give you a bunch of product if you want to give it away. So we had a giveaway on our show, and a guy out of Tennessee won it. We had a little giveaway. So uh, we're we're pretty easy to find, but uh, so far people are reaching out to us. And uh, guy, one other thing, 
uh, where I'm going to be hunting at this fall, I'm not going to be but about two hours south of you down there. And uh, you know where I'm going to be, what area, if you want to come down and hunt a few days over the counter, you're more than welcome. I'm sure we found a spot for you. Heck yeah. I'll, uh, I, I gotta go, uh, I'll be in adventure camp when you guys initially get here. Um, on my way back up, maybe I'll swing by and just hang out a couple days before I hit the mountain again. I appreciate it. Damn four. Um, Good deal. Well, we thank you for yes. having us on too. We we appreciate uh, you giving us the opportunity to tell people what we do. And as always, we listen to your podcast every chance, every time it's on. It, it it's being played. Thank you. I appreciate that. Why don't we do a we'll do a grizzled outdoor giveaway with Western Fly covers. I'll shoot you guys. Uh, I'll shoot you guys a few a few of the uh, pack fly and and optic harness fly covers, and we'll do a giveaway. Um, when you guys want to drop your next Excellent. episode. Excellent. Thank right. you very much. Yep. So I'll, I'll get a... Yeah, I'll, thanks a lot. Yeah, I'll shoot you an email and we'll get that going and get an address and get you guys some covers. Use them how you see fit. But I appreciate it again, gentlemen. Uh, thank you all for your service, your dedication to what we do as outdoorsmen and women uh, and to our nation over the years. Thank you greatly. Thank you. Thank you, God. Appreciate, appreciate your time. Thank you, God.